Welcome, Pathfinders, to Find the Path podcast actual play of the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path. This time with all girls, except Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I'm playing a boy, so... Yeah, but you're a girl. If you are confused, uh, this is episode number 39, and we're actually doing something a little different today. For those of you who are more familiar with our Mommy's Mess podcast, you may be a little accustomed to this, as we've done that once or twice over there. Uh, We are doing a two-part story. In that I have split the the group into two halves. Today I'm joined by Jessica Jenkins, Heather Allen, and Rachel Sandage. He knows our last oh. names, y'all. I mean, yep. he is married to me. Better know it. <laughs> <laughs> Better known as the by the Path Angels. I don't know. Where was I going <laughs> with that? One of you gets to be Drew Barrymore. Me, duh. <laughs> so that would make that would make you Lucy Liu, and then Jessica would be Cameron Diaz. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm here there for you it. Go. So Jordan and, Jordan and Ross are on a little vacation right now. I promise that they are in no danger. Immediately. <laughs> no immediate danger. Uh, and instead, we're going to be uh, continuing our stories. We finished up book one, for all intents and purposes. And uh, a little downtime here. I think there's a little house cleaning that needs to be taken care of, all the rest of that stuff. Tea party. And, uh, yep. And Jordan's not allowed to record until he's finished with treasure. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we did lock him in a closet. So, in other words, this is going to be the last episode for a long time, y'all. I'm very <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, jokes aside, check back in two weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, so when last we had left our heroes, the Silver Ravens had ventured into Hokum's Phantasmagorium, had made their way down down the many steps into the many steps monastery. It was such a good time, y'all. Yep. Down, down, baby. Wherein they had fought against the Redactors of Thrune in a lovely the, portion of book one entitled jerks. Redaction and Revenge. Right? <laughs> At which point you guys did the uh, the revenging. We did do the revenging. We did do some revenging. Mostly. It was not yep. a complete revenging because Nox got away. Yeah. Yes, you had battled against, as you eventually found out, the devil-bound fighter Nox. Yeah, yikes. Who had uh, fought the group pretty well to a, fa- uh, a standstill. Much to the, I think, worry of many people. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the upcoming after party. Uh, rumor mill. Rumor mill, rumor sir. Rumor mill, thank you. Instead, she had been forced to flee, at which point the party had fled, at which point uh, over the course of the last episode, you had escaped, recovered, discussed, learned some uh, troubling details pertaining towards Brazilithrune's involvement down the below. Book of the his, Damned? Uh, yeah. his finding of the Book of the Damned. So good. <laughs> One third of the Book of the Damned, to be specific. Wow. The part that's relevant to him and this adventure. Yes. The, uh, the diabolic chapter of the, the Book of the, the Damned. The hell, the hell section. The hell section. Yes. It'd be really funny if you found the section for the, like... Demons. Demons. Demons or the demons. Yeah. <laughs> Laws. Get out this of here. This is garbage. And he just throws it into the river. <laughs> nope. The river is then poisoned and no one can drink yep. out of it. The river then opens up a pit to the abyss, and we have my secret uh, backdoor pilot into us doing uh, Wrath of the Righteous. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Instead, you had eventually returned back, had broken the sad news to Rexus about the, uh, again, he had suspected that his parents had been dead for a long time, but the official breaking to him that his parents were dead. Mm. This brings him one step closer to being Batman. I'm glad we didn't bring him with us. I just want to yeah. continue to say that. Yes. I I had no intention of letting him come, so. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah. His combat abilities aren't that great either, so he would have probably been a little bit more of a liability in the fight against Nox. Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. So, yeah, I believe as we had left off, the party had gone their separate ways. Niccolo and Lucia to their uh, to their daily work. Uh, Niccolo heading back to the, uh, the Devil's Nursery to go and aid with the Cloven Hoof Society. And Lucia off to do 
whatever it is Lucia does, I think. She works. Yeah, trained extras for Downton Abbey. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. This is basically her job now. <laughs> she teaches etiquette in case you can't figure out what Rick was hinting she at there. She teaches etiquette for people for that are gonna the be, noble uh, estates. servants and yes. whatnot. Yes. I've decided really deep cut that the uh, the guy that I said kept complaining about her and is basically her boss, his name is Poole. Okay. Poole? Like Miss Poole? No. Poole is also the name of the butler in uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, which yep. is one of my favorite books. <laughs> Elsewhere, I believe, uh, I suppose to set the scene, I believe Cesare had received an invitation from Adria. A really fancy one. A very fancy invitation where Adria had invited Cesare over for a bit of tea. So it all comes full circle back to Downton Abbey. Yeah. I've never well, seen the show, but I hear it's great. Neither have I, so neither, okay. but I'm here for it. Adria also it, right? probably got like a really late night raven from uh, Vittoria, who, you know, doesn't sleep well, for specs for a thing she wants to make for Rexus. I wonder okay. why she doesn't sleep well. Could it be that she lives in a coffee house and is a student? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. This Maybe. is only my 12th cup today. <laughs> It's decaf, maybe. I can't remember which one's decaf. I'm yeah. I'm sure Pietro and Elena start slipping her decaf without her knowing. It's mm. true. I like to think that in uh, in the time between things, uh, Raven runs off while Cesare is busy and, and teams up with Vittoria to go do a whole Thief of Hearts kind of thing. Oh, my ah, God. We want to be part of the Phantom Thieves. Yep. I could see it. Vittoria does live over a coffee house. Oh. <laughs> All of you wake up, said about your, uh, your daily. I assume that Cesare sent a response back. To Adria. He would have sent a response. I mean, that's what's polite. Are, are we doing morning tea or afternoon tea? Well, Cesare's classes start at three, so it's probably like a morning ish like situation. A and there's going to be a whole spread. Probably <laughs> like too many different types of scones because I wasn't sure what Cesare would like the best. And so there were like a lot of different types of scones and also like some savory things just in case you didn't have a sweet tooth. <laughs> oh my God. So, Cesare, I imagine you awaken in the morning. Again, I imagine you have the, the large canopy bed. For some reason, I, I imagine Cesare is a very Spartan individual. One of those people where books is basically the only decoration in their room. Have you seen his vests? I doubt it. That's the man true. is glorious. <laughs> he is fancy. He is very fancy. Little do you know, the, the entire floor technically is supposed to be like three professor's rooms or something <laughs> like that. And kind of dorm. Just one of the rooms is now a walk-in closet. Yeah, pretty much. Probably. For, one's for Raven. Yeah. I see a lot of velvet drapes <laughs> and like soft, like interesting, fancy textures. Yeah. Chesare is probably pretty fancy. But wake up, give uh, Raven her food on a silver platter. Which she fancy. then probably knocks off the counter because why not? Only occasionally. Only when she forgets what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, get dressed, head down. I, uh, I suppose probably spend your morning doing some grading and all the rest of that. You know, that stuff that you actually make profession checks to get paid for. Yeah, give Raven a stack. I have a stack. I imagine the students are always more happy when the, there's the cat paw print on it instead of Cesare's handwriting. <laughs> you know? Yes. Before making your way down, you know, nodding to the various students wearing their dove gray robes as they make their way to and from class. Because, uh, again, they do have to wear the whole robe outfit uniform while they're attending school. Imagine it like the Oxford uniforms. Mm. Give a polite tilt of your head to Vittoria uh, as she makes her way, heading off towards the, the lone dark set of stairs that heads down to the basement to the operating theater where she learns about. <laughs> they keep those you know, people anatomy. in the basement? That's not very nice. Yeah, well, it's uh, probably you want to keep the, the body is. in the basement. <laughs> so, That's where yeah, it's coolest. The morgue is probably where it's cold. I mean, I'm sure that they've got, I'm sure that there's like a slab of 
gentle repose or a slab of just create ice or something down there just to keep everyone mm. cool. Probably. There are magical solutions, but... There are. But also underground is cooler and better for colding bodies. It's true. And it, you know, fits the whole creepy aesthetic hmm. where no one goes down there except for the uh, the students that are forced to. Victoria looking to be the only one excitedly, you know, walking books <laughs> clutched to her chest as she shuffles her way happily down the <laughs> stairs to go and All right. dissect a body. With books? Anyway. <laughs> no, that's well, just healthy word to cut. I know, just funny. Like, <laughs> all right, hold still. <laughs> yeah, so she walks down there with with a handful of books and the other handful of bone saws. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure right. I have, like, a kit. Yes. No. You don't have kits. I'm sure just they carry provide the bone saws down there. Bone saws ready? Bone saws ready. Bone saws ready. You make your way through the city streets. Again, things are mostly quiet. You pass by the, uh, the battle market. You make your way further to the... Uh, the south and east as you head through the Villagree district into the Ulubulus Harbor before crossing onto Bleak Bridge. Making a mental note, as you probably did when you walked out the door, to grab the copper piece that you'd need to pay your way back across the bridge whenever you're done with lunch. Well, I'm sure he keeps some... Keeps you know, change. Well, yeah, like some money on him. You never know. Yes. Raven when... has a tiny little coin purse tied to her oh. collar. I do need to buy Raven a freaking kitty backpack. Oh my god. Could she have a bag of holding that's kitty sized? I don't have enough for a bag of holding. I just need to throw some like holy waters and some other stuff in there. (laughs) Oh, fair, 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 fair. Scalpel, scalpel. Just whips it out and hands it over. No, it's going to be like a like a freaking bandolier for Raven where she can keep like important things. (laughs) (laughs) Now she looks like Rambo in my head and it it won't go away. She has like a little bandana like around her head. I mean, it is Raven we're talking about here. (laughs) True. Crossing across uh, the bridge, you make your way to about its midpoint. Uh, one of its highest points as it arches over the, the river below, as Lucia could aptly tell you, <laughs> before beginning to approach towards... How do actually things look? Like, is there a lot more Datari? I know it's been like only been like a day, but what's the atmosphere on Bleak Bridge like? Just because I know there's a lot of shops and people going from either side of the city. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any additional military presence or any additional... Tatari that you see on the streets. Mind you, you haven't been over into Red Roof, so you don't know if there's additional concern there, although considering the nature of House Thrun, the nature of the Church of Asmodeus, you're not positive whether or not they would actually want to draw visible attention mm. to what may have been considered a defeat on their part, or if it would be better for them to investigate that on the sly and give no indication to the general populace that anything has changed. It's eh, fair. But I assume you approach, make your way up towards the uh, the front door, Again, the entirety of Bleak Bridge is this cobbled stone road, which slowly arcs, arches its way over the river. I think it's about 400 feet from one side to the other. Wide enough for two carts to ride easily abreast and with walkways along the side, although many of the shops kind of bleed over into the street where they put tables up in front of the large windows that look into the shop. Uh, Adria's shop in particular is a... You honestly can't quite see into the shop for probably all of the glassware put up in the window front. Uh, with the little table up front, uh, since Adria is a not necessarily trusting, trusting individual, but at the very That's least true. has her uh, her in need of love pieces up front. As in, here's a slightly wobbly bowl. It's good for your spare change. Has Bleak Bridge always had shops and stuff on it? Or was it intended to be this way? Or did people just start doing it at some people point? People just started building shops on it. Although, mind you, it has been covered in shops for as long as there's been a history of the city of Contargo. Okay. But Cesare would make his way inside. I'm assuming the shop's open. Oh, yeah. 
There's the uh, the ding ding as the uh, the doorbell rings. Adria, I imagine finishing helping a uh, a customer, trying to find a uh, a vase. He's particularly picky about his choices as far as vases are concerned, since. Mm. There's apparently a a very small, small chance in his explanation of it that he may have said something particularly bad, unintentionally, about his half-orc girlfriend. And he's really hoping that a vase with with an appropriate bouquet of flowers may be of some assistance, since he seems to be both quite smitten as well as afraid of her. (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to want to go for the thicker glass, just in case she... Well, I'll, I'll leave it to you. If she throws this vase at you... Do you want the vase to survive the throw, or do you want it to not hurt as much if it hits you? Cesare raises an eyebrow and starts browsing. <laughs> I like wave. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what would you say my odds are of being hit? Do you have a less um, aerodynamic vase? Sure, sure. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, okay. How about something like this? She has this, like, it's kind of a rounded edges, like, it's a little tall, so it can hold, like, a big bow, a big bouquet but it's not top heavy so it won't fall over but also it that means it's a little bit like shorter and a little bit kind of stockier you sell him your least lethal vase yes uh, which you would take smile and nod. Holds a lot of flowers gives Cesare a, a nod I guess just assuming he's in the same boat uh, good luck and uh, makes his way up <laughs> Cesare kind of blinks we only buy vases when our girlfriends are mad at us <laughs> <laughs> that's the rule hey you're here good okay so um I mean, you're welcome to look at glass if you want. But also, I figured we'd have tea back here in the dining room. And her house, again, is just almost like a house moving castle. Miyazaki come to life with like a shop, but also in the back, like a table and like very cottage core, like comfortable situation. Uh, Cesare like is a- the only person that has ever entered into this place that seems to have no issue maneuvering around with his thin life, life <laughs> elven build. I love it. Raven, don't break anything. She retracts one paw that she was currently reaching out towards a nearby shelf. It sounds like glass breaking when you knock it on the floor. It always sounds the same. Always sounds a little different. I mean, if you want to break glass, there's some uh, bad pieces in the back over there. You can go play with uh, with Mephi. Uh, she also likes to break all that glass. I just remelted. It all works out fine. Okay. I'm good for now. All right. Anyway, I made um, scones and I made uh, pigs in a blanket and I made little quiches and I made uh, a couple of things with like tuna and salmon because I know how Raven likes those things. Glances over all of this food. It's like a, it could feed easily like 10 people. It's just like way too much food. Is there everyone else coming? No, but I didn't know what you liked and you know, I wanted to make sure you were comfortable. I also have like four types of tea. Uh, one of them came from Keonan. I didn't know if you were like a fancy elf from Keonan or not, because I didn't know you that well, which is why we're having tea. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, you Whatever know, feel free. you prefer is fine, Adria. You didn't have to go with all, all of this trouble. Oh, it's no trouble. It's no trouble. And then she kind of like hands you a cup and brings you like a selection of teas and pours the water and does the whole thing. So, you know, I thank you for coming. Hopefully everything is good. But, you know, I figured... I just kind of wanted to check on you because, like, we don't know each other that well. We haven't known each other that long. But, uh, you know, it seemed like seemed like you were maybe in not a great place. And I didn't know if you had anybody to talk to about it. And so I just wanted to, you know, I have a raven. Well, but raven kind of knows, you know, like I think it familiar is a kind of like part of you in a way. But um, I don't know if raven's been with you the whole time you've been like, when did you get raven? It's been a long time. He says around a mouthful of salmon. (laughs) 
She's just prying open the little, like, you know, salmon sandwiches that you've made and just taking the meat out. Uh, Raven, don't talk with your mouth full. When would I talk? The Raven <laughs> and I have known each other for quite some time, and I just, I am all right. I mean, I'm I sure you're fine. I don't like the Asmodeans. Which I get. I also really don't like them. But I feel like there's something more to, like, you, I know you mentioned you used to be part of the church and that something happened. So I just kind of wanted to, you know, give you a shoulder to lean on, somebody to talk to if you needed to talk it out with somebody that wasn't Raven. She does tend to be a little single-minded in her advice sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can try to give advice. I mean, I wasn't part of the church, but I didn't come from, like, a great background. So I totally get that thought. It's not just the one thing. It's it's a very long story. Well, we have time. We have tons of food. All right. Um, I don't know how old you are. Do you remember when Arden died? Uh, I'm not quite that old. I remember Kintago from before uh, the thrones. Like, essentially, like, I came up during the Civil War. I was born here. My parents are from Kionan. Um... And Kentargo has always been a nice city, but after Aroden died and the Civil War, it was utter chaos. Mm. Disease around the rampage, there was famine. My older brother was a member of the Latari at the time, and he was injured quite a few times, quelling fights in the streets. People were... One minute, one lord was supposedly in charge, and then the next day it was another lord, and then people were saying, well, my neighbor supports so-and-so, and they were turning each other in, and... Sure. It was not a good time. Mm. My sister fell ill and almost died once. My brother was injured. The chaos was not something that I adjusted well to. That makes sense. That's hard. I never really had any sort of motivation. I was the middle child of a well-to-do family, and I spent most of my time, honestly, just attending parties and following along whatever fad the rest of the nobles were going with. Mm. Before the Civil War, my parents had sent me to West Crown. They were hoping that I might find something that gave me inspiration to do something else with my life, rather than sleeping all day and partying all night. Cesare shrugs. Was West Crown having them problems? I feel that they got some, or had some, interesting problems. It was before the capital was moved. It was and ah. the Civil War. Okay. That's fair. So I'm assuming you found what you were looking for? Not really. Oh, I did make an acquaintance of another young nobleman who was in the city. His name was Lorenzo Thrun. Oh, wow. At the time, they were just another noble family. It was, as I said, before Arodin died. Mm. And after I came back to Cantargo and he went back to Agorian, we maintained contact. Was he like your boyfriend? Cesare kind of snorts and takes a sip of tea. More of a friends with a benefit situation. Ah. Well, you know, you were young. That's what you do when you're young. You don't get yourself tied down. I was appalled at the state of things during the Civil War. People literally killing each other in the streets. Mm. I received a letter from Lorenzo, and he asked me to travel to Agorian. My parents were quite against the idea of me traveling during the Civil War, but mm. I made the journey. And if I thought things were bad in Kentargo, well, entire villages were empty, died oh, wow. of famine, plague, dead bodies left in fields after battles. When I arrived at the estate, 
Lorenzo asked me if I was willing to do whatever it took to bring order back to Chiliax. I communicated in my letters how frustrated I was that my sister had nearly died of a disease and my brother being injured quite frequently while patrolling the city. And I told him that I was tired of the chaos and that's when he revealed his family's secret. Ah, yeah, the devil thing. He said that one of his aunts had an idea to bring order back to Chiliax and he wished for me to assist them. He thought I could be trusted. It wasn't something that came about just overnight. Um, I read the holy text. I decided that if this is what it took to bring Orther back to Chiliax, then I would assist. That makes sense to me. I mean, you do seem the type that's very like, you know, do what you got to do to get the outcome you need. Not long after Abigail, the f- who, well, the woman who would be known as Abigail the first signed her pact with hell, the a real war to bring the Chela's heartland under control began. During these conflicts, I was eventually, well, I eventually became a priest. My faith was strong enough. Mm. Lorenzo died during the Battle of a Hundred Kings, and that also happens to be the battle that sealed House Thurin's victory. Mm. I had never become close with any of his other family members, so the tenuous connection I had with House Thurin was severed with his death. After the Civil War was done, I eventually found myself back in Kentargo. I told you already that I'd had an encounter with the Jackdaw. Oh, yeah. My parents were not pleased with the direction Chiliax was taking, and they were even more, I suppose you could say, appalled that I had become a full-fledged priest. Yeah, that was going to be my question. By this time, Coraval was married, my, my older brother, and they had children. He wasn't leaving Kentargo, but my parents took my sister and returned to Kionan. Mm. Is this the... Coraval's wife is the one uh, that we're going to meet at the end of the month? Yes. Ah, with the Kalanis. son. Mm. It wasn't long after I'd helped ch- convert the old temple to Arodin into the Church of Asmodeus that... I met another young priest. He was also from Kintargo. Mm. His family was nobility and... Was he an we elf? Started... No, he's not an elf. Ah. Eventually, we were married. He oh. and uh, Kalanis became quick friends. And I was always close with my brother. And Cesare pauses and takes a long sip of tea. Things were good. I was part of a noble and prestigious family in the city. I'd had a good reputation as a priest, having fought in the Civil War, and had quite a bit of personal power when it came to my spellcasting ability. Hmm. My brother eventually was one of the first members of the Order of the Torrent. Oh yeah, you mentioned that. My best friend was a half-elf. She was a monk, a member of the Sisterhood of Eseth. They'll eventually become the Sisterhood of the Golden, Gold and the Ironies. That sounds fancy. The five of us were a very close group of friends, spending time together frequently. And quite frankly, things probably could have stayed that way for quite a long time had things not taken a turn. Well, what happened? I mean, aside from if they were humans, they died, because I know that's that's a problem. But uh, if they weren't. I had a, a son. My husband's older brother, the one to inherit the family title, had... 
a dalliance with a woman and she had a child and she foolishly thought she could use that to manipulate her way into the family. Mm. What family? She was... That isn't important. Adria, like, cocks an eyebrow, like, hmm, okay. She was taken care of. Like, by killing her or by, like, paying her off? Oh, I'm quite sure she was killed. She was a commoner. Oh, yikes. My husband's older brother begged that his son not share his mother's fate. But the firstborn son of a noble family can't have a bastard child. Mm-hmm. So the boy was given to me and my husband. I wasn't expecting to enjoy the being a father as much as I ended up. Isn't it weird? You're like, ah, oh, man, now I have this little weird thing that can't even talk. And then suddenly, like, your whole life revolves around them? Yes, it was surprising to say the least. I actually, when my husband brought the child home, I was dubious at the best. Mm. I totally understand. I carried the thing for for nine months and then I was dubious the whole time. (laughs) We named him Asher and he quickly became friends with Coravel and Colonis' children. Well, first they babysat him, but then once he got older and they could Mm. actually have conversations. Sure. I suppose things really took a turn. Well, the first thing that caused everything to change was the Red Revolution. Oriana was sent to help quell the revolt in Galt, and she was caught and executed. One of the first victims of the now rather infamous Final Blades. Mm. It was difficult, to say the least. Adrian, like, reaches over and, like, pats Cesare on the arm. He takes another long sip of tea, refilling the glass. And then the trouble with Coravel happened. I already told you all this before, Mm -hmm. that the Order was a, took down the Thieves' Guild, and then all of the officers were involved in a scandal, stealing money that should have rightfully gone to the city. Yeah. Coraval insisted he was innocent, that he had no idea what had transpired. But there was letters, correspondence, orders, all of which contained his signature. He swore that they were forged. Mm. And I believed him. And... I pulled all the strings that I could, I pulled in favors, but nothing could get him spared from his execution. Ah. Which meant, quite frankly, there's someone higher up on the church wanted it happen, or Mm. someone higher up in the government than I had the ability to influence was behind the entire thing. I mean, was was he making trouble for anybody? (sighs) Not as far as I know. Uh, Well, he probably kept it close to the vest, and then who knows? I was on the verge of mastering the ritual to raise the dead when Coravel was executed. I wasn't quite there. I could have waited, continued to pursue the knowledge, but for my help in the Civil War, I had been gifted a scroll, a powerful one that could summon a contract devil. Oh. So I scribed the circle and cast the scroll. But uh, something went wrong. I don't know if the scroll itself was faulty or in my haste I incorrectly cast the spell or if my circle was flawed. The devil was bound, but it wasn't completely under my control. I had to negotiate. Hmm. Three favors, and then I could get what I wanted. My brother returned from the dead. The first two were easy, no acts of real consequence. For the last task, he told me to bring my husband and my son. I was 
wary. I know that I sh I knew right then and there that something wasn't right, but it was the only way to get Coravel back. So I brought them. Did you tell him? Well, maybe not your son, but did you tell your husband what was uh, going on? Asher was 16, and oh, I had okay. explained to them that I had used the scroll to summon a contract devil in an attempt to bring Coravel back. My husband had been helping me try to figure out who was behind mm. what had happened with the Hell Knights, so he wasn't surprised that I would have gone to such extreme measures. I mean, Coravel was his friend too. We'd been friends, sure. all of us, for years. The devil told me that if I wanted Coravel back, I had to sacrifice Asher to Asmodeus. A family member for a family member. Oh. I said no. I broke a contract. I'm assuming that's bad for a priest of Asmodeus. Oh, I lost my divine powers then and there, instantly. Ah. It was quite a painful experience. Mm. I was on the floor, on the verge of passing out, when the creature turned to my husband and said, What about you? And when I came to, Asher was dead on the floor. But your brother didn't come back. Oh no, I don't know what deal my husband struck with the contract devil. Power of some sort, I'm sure. Could he have saved you? I don't know. You didn't ask him? He was gone. Oh, he left. By the exit to the room was a backpack. Several changes of clothes, money, some trail rations, a few other odds and ends that I might need for a journey. A letter on top of the bag was from my husband, explaining that he knew that I would be upset. Mm. But if we wanted to find out what had happened to Corvel, we needed power, and he had listed several large temples of Asmodeus outside of the outside of Kentargo that I, and Chiliax that I could travel to to seek my atonement. And that when I returned to the city with my powers restored, we would figure out what had happened to Coravel. And none of this did he seem remorseful for murdering our son. And I suppose to top it all off, underneath this was a love letter. What? Well, expressing how much he cares for me, how much he loved me, how much he was going to miss me while I was gone. You know, we should find him. We should punch him right in the face. Mostly oh, you, I'm going to kill him. Oh, is he an Asmodean or is he just like a guy? Oh, he's an Asmodean. He was a priest, never as powerful okay. as I was before, which might be part of the problem. I have a feeling people always assumed he was just riding my coattails. Mm. Well, he could have been. And so I left the city, but I didn't make for a temple of Asmodeus. I went to Kionan. Mm. I just needed some time to think. My parents didn't ask too many questions. I mean, they were probably just happy you were away from the church, I guess. I was there about a week when I made my decision that I was going to seek an atonement, though not to return and help my husband figure out what happened to my brother. I needed mm. power to get my revenge. The morning I was about to leave is when my sister, Xylas, arrived home. She had joined the Pathfinder Society and was a priestess, is a priestess of Serenre. Huh. Either way, we spent the better part of several hours screaming at each other. Oh, well, I mean, that's one way to do the whole redemption thing, right? She was incensed that I was thinking about returning to the temple after all that they had done. And I was angry that she wouldn't just let me go. I needed to get the power back. But the more she screamed and the more I screamed, the more... She made me confront everything I had done while I was a priest. Mm. In the beginning, it was about restoring order after the Civil War, but 
eventually it had become what all the priests of Asmodeus are about. Personal power. Sure. So then you decided to be a wizard? I needed power of some sort. Hmm. Power. Raven does two thumbs to herself. So that's when you met Raven. I spent some time in Cantharga with my sister. I carry a holy symbol of Thurinrae, though honestly I don't know if you'd say that I worship the goddess. It's more of a, a reminder to not let things get too far. Mm. What I did when I was a priest was horrible. Of course, murder, sacrifice, slavery. I sold my soul, as most priests do. There's no way to remedy really any of this. My mother is a wizard. I spent some time trying to study from her, and no matter what I did, I couldn't even master a simple cantrip. Mm. Asmodeus has some influence over the arcane, and I started to wonder if perhaps whatever the contract devil had done to me to remove my connection to the divine was affecting my ability to use magic altogether. Mostly conjuring. I spent almost... Two almost 20 years traveling across the continent, various wizarding schools, academies. I would tell them that I couldn't seem to master anything, no matter what we tried. I would spend a few weeks, nothing would change, and I would move on. Oh, did you end I'm, up at uh, Absalom? Because that magic school seems really cool. I never did go to Absalom. Uh, I only docked there a few times and obviously didn't do magic school, but it was pretty cool. I wound up in Corvosa. Oh, okay. Their academy won't even start teaching their students magic until they've been there for almost four years, and you spend the first three more or less being a glorified servant and are lucky if you survive the process. Don't they summon a bunch of imps? Yes, they run rampant throughout the city and mm. get into turf wars with the pseudo-dragons that also run rampant across the city. I love a pseudo-dragon. Anyway, anyway. I'd managed to survive the first few years, but... Once I was in the classes that actually taught magic the same, I couldn't even master a cantrip. Hmm. I was out in the garden one night pondering my next move. There was a temple of Asmodeus nearby and I was contemplating, simply returning, undergoing the atonement. I couldn't let go of the idea of revenge. I mean, it doesn't seem like you've let go of it yet either, so... I haven't. It's the whole reason I even came back to Cantargo, but again, I'm getting ahead of myself. In the garden that night, there happened to be a tiny little black cat. Cesare glances down. You call him tiny. <laughs> For what I could tell, she was just a normal cat, and it took me some time to persuade her to come over to me, and when I reached out to pat her, I felt a surge of magic. Or static, whichever. Could you talk before this? He, she couldn't <laughs> even talk before this. I could communicate, which is what's necessary. Things mm. like feed me and look at me. Mm. I mean, those are the pretty much the most important things people yeah. can communicate. <laughs> and let me outside and then let me back inside and then immediately let me outside again. The basics. Regardless, somehow this simple interaction had somehow bound us as master and familiar. Mm. And suddenly I could cast magic. Magic works in mysterious ways. That's fair. I left Corvosa and returned to Cantargo. I, I spent some time with my mother, fine-tuning my new abilities before coming back to Cantargo, which she highly disapproved of. Mm. I mean, it seems like you waited long enough that most people who knew you would be dead. It has been quite a while. I stayed with my sister-in-law for quite some time before I got to my job at the Alabaster Academy. 
I've come close to killing my husband two or three times. So he knows you're in the city? Oh, he doesn't. Oh. But I've come close enough where I was about to make my move and then something has happened. Another person has come along or it just wasn't the right time. Hmm. So he's in the city. He is in the city. Coming back to Cantargo was eye-opening, to say the least. I was on the other side of the fence, if you will, and I saw how the church treats people who aren't nobility, who aren't beneficial to them. And eventually, I just decided the whole city would be better without the Asmodeans, but I wouldn't have any sort of power to do that by myself and kept myself focused on my revenge. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the city was not great before for people that were poor. I mean, I was orphaned. You know, I grew up with nothing. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely worse. Definitely worse now with Rune here. But I suppose that was a long story and didn't really get to the point of why I hate them. I get why you hate your husband. And I get why you hate probably, like, the old head of the church. I don't know if he's even still kicking. But, like, Asmodeus in general. I mean, they do horrible stuff. I get why people in general don't like them. I hate them because I understand them. I was one of them. I hate them because I know what the extremes they'll go to, what they'll do for their power, what they'll do to prevent anyone from interfering. I hate them because if any one of those events that I just told you about had gone a little bit differently, I'd still be one of them. Mm. So you kind of hate party itself, and so that fuels it and becomes cyclical. If Oriana hadn't died in the Red Revolution and everything else had happened the same, I would have gone to her the night Asher was murdered. Mm. And she would have taken me outside of the city. I would have gotten my atonement, and then we would have worked on killing my husband together. Mm. If I had control of the contract devil and Coravel was back, I would still be a priest if Coravel wasn't executed. If that contract devil had asked anything except for the execution of my son for the final task. Mm. It's not just one thing that can turn a person away from something they're so faithful to. Right. They will exploit anything that they can to get what they want. I hate them because I am them, and I don't know if that will ever really change. I understand them too much. I know how the church works. I know how hell works. I know I still find myself thinking in that frame of reference. Well, uh, Adrian reaches over and like puts a hand on your shoulder. I think the thing that we can control, like the thing that you can control is yourself, right? So maybe, you know, just work on, I can help you. It may not be very helpful, but I'll try. You know, if we could, you know, elves live a long time. You have multiple lives. I mean, I'm 90 and you're older than me. And I feel like if we try to hold on to every bad thing we ever did, at some point, how do you just keep going? You've got to find ways to, to make amends with the bad stuff we did in our past and, you know, just try to be better people moving forward. There's nothing we can do to change the past. I mean, unless you know some time magic. But I don't. No, I don't. Kentargo needs to be free. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason I joined the Silver Ravens. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the Asmodeans out of this city and get the people free. I'm going to hell anyway. That's not going to change. And quite frankly, if I go down in the history books as the one that was too extreme the villain of the Silver Ravens. What do I care? I'm in hell being tortured anyway. But would Asha want you to be remembered like that? What about your sister-in-law, your parents? My parents have never really asked one way or the other. And Kalanis hates the church because of what happened to my brother. Yeah, but I doubt she'd want you to 
sacrifice yourself yourself in that way. I mean, I for all the things that our younger party members believe, there's something to be said for some of it. We want the future to be like that, right? We want people to care about each other and we want people to do the good thing and be able to trust people. And I think, you know, even though it's hard and it's not really, it kind of goes against our nature. Sometimes it's better to, to just have faith in somebody else that maybe they'll make a decision. People make mistakes. That is what it is. We'll deal with it when it happens. But uh, I don't want to try to crush the spirits of the people we work with either. It's hard to leave the Asmodeans alive in our wake because I know exactly what I would do if I was one of them. But you are an exceptionally strong, powerful, and smart one. Eventually, we will run into a smart one. Oh, yeah. Inevitable. We'll definitely kill the smart ones. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't have a whole lot to lose in this city. I mean, my son left. My husband's gone. I got a shop, but, like, you see the glassware at the shop, right? So, uh, you know, if, if something bad happens, we can all we can do is deal with it. Learn from them from those mistakes. I have lost friends and family. I just hope the others are prepared that that might be the cost. I just don't want to see you end up being a person you don't want to be because you feel like you gotta. That's not a burden you have to carry by yourself. I am going to kill my husband. I don't think we're gonna stop you from killing your, your terrible husband. You know, getting revenge on somebody who hurt you personally, totally understand. But I just don't want you to become nothing but that rage because, you know, you're a good person. Cesare snorts. You're a good person. Raven, he a good person. He cares about his family. Nope. You want to keep your sister-in-law sick? You, you feed Raven? <laughs> you feeds two other are delusional. Cats. Nah. I am good not relative. a good person. You're a good person that's done bad stuff. Carries around a holy symbol of Serenre. I carry around the holy symbol of Serenre to remind myself to try not to fall into those old ways of thinking, which, as you know, are extremely hard. But you're trying not to. And you said yourself, this city deserves to be free. You got some goodness in there, even if you don't want to believe it. Good is not something that you are. Good is something that you do. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Have you been reading the philosophy books again? You can only be brave when you're afraid. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's the trying that's important. Day at a time. And besides, I know you've always kind of agreed with the whole Serenre thing. By word or the sword. One way or the other. I prefer the sword. Or in this case, magic. It's like a sword. The sword of gods. Yeah. So no, I can't uh, say that I will ever be in a stable place emotionally when we counter the Asmodeans. It's Mm. very visceral. I think that's okay. I think it's good, you know, knowing what I know. It's, it's... I can help you as much as I can help you. Remind you that you're a good person. My my hands aren't blood free, but I just I'd hate to to see you turn into the thing that you don't like because you don't deserve that. No, I deserve whatever's coming to me, Adria, and I've accepted that a long time ago as well. Ah. But thank you for the sentiment. Raven, how you live with this guy? You're a good person. You <laughs> had a bad situation. You did some dumb stuff when you were a kid. It happens. Didn't we all put on a cure album once and sit in a graveyard and draw a pentagram? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, Adrian did not, but that's mostly because I was on a boat. Well, a saxophone playing vampire hangs out in the background. (laughs) God. Lost Boys? No one? Come on. I I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
people are strange. Anyway, I suppose I will have to reiterate this story to the others later. You can tell them I honestly don't care. Whichever one you want. It's not something pleasant to talk about, but I'll do what I have to to see Kentargo free, and and I don't mind being the one that has to do the hard things, if that makes any sense. I hear you, but I don't want you to have to be the one that does it all by yourself. I have Raven. I yep. hear you, but I don't <laughs> want you to have to be all by yourself with Raven. I make hard choices every day. Like which bow tie to wear? I'm sitting here choosing between salmon and tuna every time I pick up one. If there's like a, a plate <laughs> full of just empty slices of bread where she pulled all of the tuna and salmon out. You're wasting all nice. of that bread. You can eat it. It's fine. I'll feed it to the dog. Or the dog. Oh, d- thanks. I'll just have the plain bread. Thank you. I think there's some <laughs> tuna juice and cheese on it. <laughs> I'm not supposed to eat cheese. I'm actually lactose intolerant. So uh, what's after, right? We win... Get rid of Asmodee and people in the city. The husband's dead. What's after for Cesare? I honestly don't care. Ah, come on. You gotta think about the future. Maybe that's a good exercise. Mm. You could buy a boat. You could go sailing. See the world. That's probably more of a me thing. You could buy a bunch of books. You could learn new things. Honestly, I'll probably just stay in Cantargo. Kalanis isn't going to go anywhere, and if we're lucky enough to save the Hell Knights, my nephew won't be going anywhere either. Hmm. You can find yourself a better husband, if you want a husband. Although you are a strong, independent man who don't need no man. Chesare bursts into laughter. Yes, I did it. Adria's very pleased. I like the one that makes me vests. Ooh, you got <gasps> the tiefling. Yes, I'm quite sure that uh, it'll oh, be easy. Oh, it's not a secret now. Okay, now you have I to have tell me everything. Have you been on a date? Where did you go? What did you several, wear? Several, but it's not serious. I have to tell him everything that I just told you before it can go anywhere serious. It's not something I'm going to drag someone into blindly. Okay, but don't end with I'm a bad person and I'm going to hell because that scares people off. I am going <laughs> to hell. I, I sold my soul, Adria. I be, but I feel like, you know, there's probably some wiggle room, like... The wiggle room is destroying the copies of the contracts. One is probably still in the vault of the noble house I used to belong to. The other one is in hell. Okay, so that's the plan. We finish fixing Kentago. (laughs) We go to the noble house. We, like, tear up a contract, however you do that. We go to hell. We fight the devil themselves. (laughs) Step one, grind until you hit 20th level. Step two, plane shift. (laughs) We'll get that. One of us will know that spell. (laughs) Yes, we'll just waltz into the vault where Asmodeus keeps the contracts of everyone who's ever sold him their soul and will happen to find mine in a reasonable amount of time. Or we find, like, a real name of a devil, isn't that a thing? And then we, like, make them a deal they can't refuse to get the contract for us. I don't know. I feel like we can work it. You're a smart person. I'm a person that has magic, (laughs) maybe. And we can figure it out. (laughs) That has magic, maybe. I think I've seen you cast quite a few spells. It's true. I don't. I feel like devils are not immune to lightning, though, right? No, they're not immune to lightning. Though okay, I then I'm good. Try fire. Then we're both good because, like, I got a whole lightning storm thing. It was that's a long story, but uh, yes, we will lightning bolt some devils. It will be glorious, and then your soul won't be contracted to hell, and you'll hopefully realize you are a good person because you saved a whole city and whatnot. And then you don't have to tell Hedeman that uh, that you're going to hell, and that's all good. Or maybe he just likes a bad boy. I don't know how you can be so blindly optimistic. Ah, you just kind of have to practice. It's really hard. (laughs) 
Sometimes good things happen to good people. That's true. I woke up this morning, broke a plate, and I'm still getting tuna and salmon. You broke a plate? I woke up this morning after a bird flew in and broke a plate, and I'm still (laughs) getting tuna and salmon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've heard it from Nicolo. It's those pigeons. Hey, pigeons are perfectly nice. They used to be domesticated. Rats with wings. They're delightful. I used to, well, I still feed them, but not in my yard anymore because the dog. Well, thank you for listening to me whine, Adria. Oh, anytime. Also, next time, if you come at night, we can have wine. We can't have wine now. Oh, I mean, yeah, we can have wine now. I didn't know if you were like a morning drinker. (laughs) Adria goes, and now we have like drunken alcoholic tea, and it's wonderful. I can't get too drunk. Cesare has class at three. I also work in a glass shop. I can't get too drunk. (laughs) I'll knock everything over, and it'll be I suppose if you ever need to talk, Raven's more of of a good listener than I am. I tend to be quite cynical. Oh. Hey, sometimes cynical is good. My mentor was very cynical, but gave very good advice. Is your son still in the city? No, he uh, he left right around the time of uh, Night of Ashes. He kind of, you know, he's a little bit of a rebel. I think he's over in Via or something. But yeah, he just was like, I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with these runes. You know, he's a grown man. Yeah, it is what it is. At least he's safe then. <laughs> as safe as anybody in Via can be, I guess. Which is not very. Which is not very. I don't know what he's up to. <laughs> but he, well, you know, he, he does not write his mother enough. I send him letters and he does not respond often enough. So when we get done with this, I'm going to go check on him and uh, make sure he's not getting too skinny. And that I he's only up to some trouble. I a strongly worded letter. You know, I'm scared that if I do that, he won't write back. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, here, you got to have some more scones. And also, I'll, I'll make you like a little uh, to-go package of this stuff because this is way too much food for me. And you can just let Raven eat it, or you can feed it to kids, or whatever. Maybe that's the way to get them to study. I have a fresh scone. Did you study? Here's a scone. It worked on Basilio. That's my kid. <laughs> well, hopefully he writes you soon. Mm. Fingers crossed. We fade to a montage of laughter and, and drinking. Yep. Cesare gets a little day drunk. It's fine. It's, it's fine. You're going to go teach something you know. <laughs> no big deal. It's only elvish history. It's fine. <laughs> it's all a little drunk anyway. <laughs> Alrighty then, Adria now knows all the tea. Now knows all teas. And Adria has now made it her life mission to convince Chesare that he's a good person. Good luck with that. Yeah, well, we got six books. <laughs> or, I guess five. <laughs> suppose it's the, uh, the two of you kind of finish. Pan across the city. Yeah, after the, uh, the long, long lunch conversation that the two of you have. Vittoria, you've spent the last about hour and a half or so sitting on one of the uncomfortable stone benches looking down from the operating theater down towards the the lower level in this circular room. The bottom floor of two of the towers contain operating theaters. One is primarily used for actual operations as far as teachings, instructing, and so on and so forth. This one, however, is dedicated solely to a little bit more of the mortuary arts, if you will. You can often tell the difference because the overpowering smell of ammonia and formaldehyde. Professor Yanev is finishing his rather long discussion pertaining towards the various signs of asphyxiation. In particular, the, the hemorrhaging around the face, checking the eyes, means by which to, uh, to check the nasal passage to see about inflammation and such that might have brought on something along the lines of... Or petechial hemorrhaging. All those phrases that, you know, I've learned from CSI. Professor Yanev is the uh, 
the Academy's doctor of medicine. The man is tall and is one of those women and a fair share of men giggle and watch as he walks by because he is the Grey's Anatomy handsome doctor. Mm. <laughs> He's McDreamy. He's McDreamy. Chiseled jaw, somehow always has a perpetual five o'clock shadow, but manages to pull it off. Like he works really, really hard, but takes care of himself. Deep, <laughs> nice. dreamy, hazel eyes. Uh, currently, he is pulling off two thick leather gloves spattered with gore and viscera, uh, having extracted the lungs as he kind of turns back towards all of you, laying the uh, the bloody gloves out. And so you see, that is how you can determine whether or not an individual was drowned or suffocated. When you go home, I'm going to need all of you to focus on chapter 17. In particular, I want you to be able to show me the various signs of an individual, the stages leading up to full asphyxiation and how each one shows the perpetual progression of stages until the individual expires. He pauses. I imagine everyone somewhat pauses as the door up at the back of the theater opens. A figure stands against the light as it's relatively dim in here. Each one of the students here are provided with a single candle, although most of the light is actually down below, so that in the operating theater area, you're not, in essence, light-blinded, trying to look down towards the more detailed examples of what's going below. A slender figure steps in, shuts the door behind them, and steps off towards the side. The professor kind of pauses, seemingly thrown in the middle of his discussion, um, and then uh, provide that to me. Oh, let's see. I believe it is toil day, so let's go ahead and get that by fire day. And, of course, if you do use any sources beyond your textbook, please cite your sources. So, I'm part of a rebellion on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> good, good evening to all of you. Or day, I suppose. It's only a little afternoon. Time flies. He smiles and nods. There's the, the sound of everyone getting up. Again, there's not the scraping chair sound because all of you are sitting on stone benches with the, the wooden tables in front of you. Victoria does slow, so slowly hoping to uh, eavesdrop, because <laughs> that's what she does. The figure that stepped in reveals herself to be a woman who makes her way steadily down the steps down towards the lower operating theater. A rather curious sight as she is not wearing either the robes of a professor or the robes of a student, but instead seems to be a human woman maybe in her early 30s, late 20s. Her hair is dark, possibly black, although it's difficult to tell down here and cut in a very short manner, almost disheveled. Strangely, the woman wears a purple doublet and over that what looks to be leather armor. Hmm. A weapon sits easily at one hip. A rapier, you think? Or a short sword? Again, it's hard to tell. She slides past all of you and makes her way down, makes her way down, and carries with her a distinct smell of something like lilac. The professor pauses, folds his, uh, his hands behind him. Um, ma'am? The woman glances back towards the rest of the class, who's mostly clearing out, back towards him. You are Professor Kalen Yenef? I, um, have the pleasure. The woman extends a hand. It's a pleasure to meet you. I am Teoset Tiori. You can simply call me Tiori. Despite the fact that we have not had this yet, uh, go ahead and give me a, uh, let's go with a society check. From only Vittoria, none of the rest of you are here. Yeah, we're not here. No, we're... Eating day scones. drunk at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're a little day drunk. We're having a good time. <laughs> Vittoria, you do recognize this name. Teyesa Tiora is a, a woman that you know has a wide-ranging history. 
although most important to possibly your own interests, is she is a fame in, famed independent investigator. Mm. Mostly known for bringing no agenda to her employer's needs other than the one that she's paid to bring with a deep-seated need to uncover secrets and mysteries. Tiaset has made a name for herself in solving murders throughout Chiliax, particularly a string of murders caused by a serial killer in West Crown two years back, as well as disrupting what seemed to have been a political agenda from a cabal of doppelgangers in Agorian three years ago. Is she the investigator that Thrun hired to find out who we are? Ooh. Yeah, they did mention that there was an investigator that got hired. Who knows? Your professor nods. Uh, a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Uh, shakes her hand, giving her somewhat of a kind of sheepish shrug as he tries to make sure there's no viscera left on his hand. The woman doesn't seem to notice. Glances once about. Again, she's rather curious. As you look her over, you can see her better from below. You would say that she's not exceptionally tall, a little bit under five and a half feet. And judging by her features, you're going to guess that she has Eastern descent, Tien, although what heritage of Tien, you can't be certain. The woman glances back up towards you. For a moment, the light catches as she has a chain that runs from her ear, actually all the way to a nose ring, which catches the light as she turns back and looks towards you. Uh, uh, Miss Scordato, did you need anything? This is Miss Scordato. She is one of my most uh, promising students, actually. Ah, uh, no, and she, like, reaches down and, like, with a sleight of hand, like, picks up her pencil like she dropped it. Just ah. rather clumsy today. Of course. He turns his attention back to her. The two of them seeming to uh, uh, more or less kind of dismissed you as I suppose you do take the slow walk up the stairs. You can make me a stealth check if you want to uh, to loiter further. That is up to you. Super slow. I mean, my stealth check isn't great. You could also make a bluff check if it's, you know, you're just trying to search through your bag to find something. Sorry, it's deception now. Yeah, I was going to say my deception and my stealth are the same bonus. Ugh. I don't know if I want to give myself away, but I feel like we need the information. So I mean, I want if you know. wish to leave the room, you'll have to make a perception check to overhear it. But you will get a plus four bonus in your stealth. If you're doing that thing where you're pressed up against the door jam outside, you know, <laughs> <laughs> casually. I think I'll do that. OK. Do you have a yeah. glass? You can, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I quickly down my drink, press the glass up against the wall. Yeah, so I'll, I'll step out, but, uh, like, stay next to the, the doorway to listen in as well as I can. Secret stealth and a secret perception. Hopefully that's good. <laughs> you ascend up the stairs. Step outside into the darkened hallway. Close the door back behind you. Probably crane your neck around real quick, both the curving sides of the hallway, because the, the hallway curves around the outside of the circular operating room to go, uh, no one else, no one else. No, uh, very distantly, you can smell the uh, the smell of pipe smoke, as you're going to guess one of the uh, the students has decided to slip down here somewhere and smoke his pipe. It's like the Attention, kids. sir. Yeah, it's like the kids smoking cigarettes in the stairwell. <laughs> you press your ear to the door, and muffled now, you can hear both of the voices. Again, fortunately, the operating room is specifically designed to carry acoustics. If you don't mind, Professor, I'll dispense with formalities. I'm here on a, well, I'm here for a number of reasons, to be perfectly honest. You see, I'm on vacation. Mm -hmm. Well, originally I was on vacation. I decided to come to Contargo as a, a sort of vacation, if you will, doing research on uh, your famed serial killer. Uh, what was his name? The, the Temple, Temple Hill, Hill Slasher. Slasher. 
I, I, I assume that like Victoria is in the hallway, like mouthing it, like, come on. <laughs> she obviously knows who that man is. Yes. I believe actually he taught in this very school, did he not? Uh, yes, actually. Um, in this very operating theater, yes. Uh, yes, in, in this very room. And had your job. Yes. You see, Professor. She thinks he's the killer. There's been a string of murders recently. The, uh, the unfortunate happenings in the Devil's Nursery, yes. No, those were very public. The ones that I am discussing were not. A number of individuals killed in Old Contargo. The Dutari have done a great deal to keep these murders under wrap. Mm. While the local law enforcement, sadly, does not seem to care much for those in the Red Roof District. In Old Contargo, they do not want to scare away the general populace. I'm investigating that. I see. You hear a single click of a boot as if she's taken a step closer, and I've now brought you into my confidence. I have some drawings here that I've taken of a few of the crime scenes, murder victims. I would like you to look them over and give me your professional opinion. Um, of, of course. I'm not a, a suspect or, or anything, correct? You can hear a very long, nervous chuckle that she seems to just let die in the room. Mm. Is there any reason you should be? Uh, no, I'm, I could provide you with uh, with any information you need, alibis, such as that. Alibis. That sounds innocent to me. Really, I'm just here for the information. Each one of these victims were murdered. All of them in Old Contargo. Many of them were stabbed over three dozen times. Jesus. By a long, sharp-edged, reverse-curved blade. Does this sound familiar? Uh, no. Um, should it? The Temple Hill Slasher used a kukri for many of his murders, with a similar curvature to this weapon. The individuals, however, did not die. The person responsible for the stabbings was exceptionally skilled. Despite inflicting over two to three dozen wounds, the people were exsanguinated. Oh. I see. Um, yes, I would be happy to, to go through these and get uh, any information that you would need. Thank you. You can hear her hand over something. And don't worry, those are copies. Although, again, this is confidential. Between us, if you will. Six people have been murdered, Professor. I would like to stop before there is a seventh. Of course. Um, I, I will aid you however I can. You hear the sound of footsteps beginning to approach, probably starting to take a step back before you note that they suddenly stop. Professor, how far does your expertise extend? In, uh, in, in, in what manner? Can you tell the specific means of which an individual was killed, magically or non-magically? I am experienced. I've trained extensively. Yes, I believe. Um, where was it? Uh, where was I trained? The University of Leopardstadt, wasn't it? Oh. Um, yes. The vampire. Yes, it was. Hmm. You know, that's curious, actually. Professor Mengvoon, the temple slasher, he was trained at the University of Leopardstadt, was he not? I would not know. Do you recognize the pattern of this type of wound? You can hear another ruffling paper, pressing your ear tighter against the door. You can hear some mumbling for a moment. Uh, burns, it seems. Burns. Like a torch. 
No, no. The, the skin. Uh, electricity? This individual was struck by lightning. Uh, it's possible. I can only tell from your... Could you tell whether or not that this was magical lightning? Um, it would seem indicative of it if it simply struck here. And could you determine exactly what form of magical lightning? Was this an individual's hand? Was this a bolt of lightning? Was this something simpler? Like a, an arc of electricity, if you will. I don't follow. You see, there have been a number of break-ins and murders perpetrated against the city. This was evidence I've taken from two different locations. Previously, Salic Saltworks, and recently, Hokum's Phantasmagorium. Oops. I believe that there are a number of murderers on the loose in this city. Now, these seem to be political killings. They are not the random killings of the serial killer that I'm investigating. However, they do still need to be stopped. I have further evidence, if you so wish. Uh, blades, for instance. Stab wounds here and here. This looks indicative of a short sword or maybe a rapier. It is responsible for the death of the overseer at the salt works. Hold on a moment. Victoria is cringing in the hallway. You teach a dueling course, don't you, Professor? Oh no, it's not his fault. I, I do. You're one of, of course, Lepidstadt's famed dueling students, yes? I will aid you however I can. Uh, Miss Tiora is fine, Professor. I hope to have a long and fruitful relationship while I'm in the city. And thank you. We're going to save a lot of lives together. You hear the click, click sound of boots approaching the top of the stairs. Uh, Victoria books it. <laughs> yeah. Run. <laughs> but casually. Yeah. Like, like, like when she hears them getting close to the door, I figure she like slows her steps and like pretends to be like leaning against the wall, looking through her bag. Very well. You smell the approach of lilacs first before the woman steps around the corner. Glances over towards you and gives you a curt nod. Miss Scordato. Victoria just nods. She pauses. What do you think of your education here? Is it a good school? As far as I've been able to tell, yes. And the professor. He seems to be a very knowledgeable man. Extremely. Do you know when he does his dueling classes? I do not partake. It's a pity. Kentargo has become a dangerous place. You might consider learning how to defend yourself. Oh, I do. Thank you, though. Good evening. Or afternoon, I suppose. If you're looking at the professor, you're looking in the wrong direction. He wouldn't do this. She stops. Do what, Miss Cordato? Oh, so I wasn't supposed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is you're doing here for. I know of your reputation. You'll hear about killings. Are you investigating the Devil's Nursery? Nice. No, actually. A group of individuals seems to have already resolved the Devil's Nursery issues. And personally, I prefer to avoid monstrous killings when possible. If you're familiar with my history, you know that I've had to deal with doppelgangers, shape changers, and other such monstrous beings in the past. I prefer more humanoid adversaries. They are monstrous nonetheless. Yes. And their skills, their abilities are just as widely varied. But you think that the professor is completely innocent? I cannot know that for 100% certain, but... Since I have become a student at this school, he has been nothing but one of the finest educators I have learned from. And if it does turn out that he has anything to do with this, I I would be very shocked. Can I let you in on a secret? Do you trust me with a secret? You don't know me. I don't, but you have a trustworthy face. And you seem to be willing to stick your neck out for 
an acquaintance. I don't suspect him of anything. He doesn't fit the profile. What is the profile? An individual with a passable knowledge of anatomy, but not an exceptional one. The person makes mistakes. I am most likely not looking for a surgeon. I'm probably looking looking for a student. Yes, Miss Gordado. Sorry. Come on. Well, if they do not have the full knowledge, it means that they haven't finished their education yet. It's true. That, or perhaps a butcher, perhaps taxidermist, both would have knowledge of anatomy. Also true. And the individual seems to be attacking people in the late to early evenings, after sunset, but before curfew. Vampire. I'm not sure why that would be a vampire. Because <laughs> they're insanguinated. I don't know. What would that tell you? That would tell me it's the easiest time to move about the city after a workday. True. But also, Old Contargo is an old and somewhat busy section of the city. Plenty of targets. And the individual would have to be relatively nondescript. So they blend in. Most likely. They're found in isolated areas. If it were your professor, he would maybe be able to use his innate charm and handsome good looks to possibly lure individuals away. Although not the wide range of individuals who've been killed thus far. So more likely than not, someone nondescript. Which your professor most certainly is not. How many people have been killed so far? I just know of the one in the Red Roof, Red Roof District. Mm. There are unfortunately a large number of murders throughout this city. Which is why I encourage people to be careful. It seems that a certain degree of rebellion is in the wind. Not surprising. Honestly, I don't find it surprising either. Barzillai's heavy-handed approach to things seems to be winning him no friends. Well, when you set hellhounds onto a crowd of people, it's not going to earn you any favors. She looks you for a long moment in the eye. Was that something you experienced personally? No, I heard about it from some of the uh, classmates that were there. Two people were killed that day. Murdered in front of the opera house. In self-defense? One can't be certain. However, I do find it curious. One should be careful. Again, part of the reason I've asked your professor. A long weapon. A rapier most likely responsible for one. The other one seemed to have been a magical discharge. Electricity, perhaps. But to my understanding, your professor has no knowledge of magic. Not that I've ever seen. Mm. This school is starting to teach magic, is it not? I honestly wouldn't know. I spend most of my time here in the basement. (laughs) You're lucky. That I spend my time in the basement. That you live in a city with such a renowned institution. Well, it wasn't always renowned. It's only now regaining its reputation. That's true. But I would have figuratively, not literally, killed for the opportunity to have studied in a place like this. But from what your professor says, it seems that you take full advantage of your opportunity. I'm here to learn. Can't help anyone in the city if I don't have the knowledge to do so. You want to help people in the city? It's what I do. Hmm. It's mostly like helping people find lost cats or things like that. Are you an investigator? Sort of. Casually, when I'm not studying. Casually? Do you get paid? No. Mm. I remember those days. I get rewarded, but paid, no. <laughs> I once found someone cooking the books and got three chickens as my payment, so I understand. I wish you the best of luck. Love her. Scordato. Yes. Do you have a first name? Just to sate my curiosity. Vittoria, then. Vittoria. Tiora. She extends a hand. Victoria takes it. She hasn't quite figured out if she is on their side or the other side yet. She's not on a side. She's on the just side of truth. 
Yeah, which I can get behind, but I don't know if that's going to work in our favor. No. Get in tight with her, and then you can keep the tabs on her investigation. That's kind of what I was thinking. Maybe she'll bring me in as, like, a helper, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm the one who committed one of those murders. You need better deception if you're going to be doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to up that next time. Well then, Victoria, you seem to be abreast of the situation in the city, and I'm a relatively new arrival. If I have any questions, would you mind if I asked? I will do my best to answer them. I suppose I'll catch you probably the next time that I'm here, so I can follow up with your professor. But if you hear anything of interest or note, something that you think someone should look into, and that you're not certain if the Datari are too busy for, there's a small inn called the Sleeping Hound, North Red Roof. I know of it. You can ask for me there. I'm not going to tell her where I work yet. <laughs> I don't trust her yet. <laughs> She starts to turn before pausing. And for the time being, if you do make your way across the bridge, be exceedingly careful. There have been a half dozen deaths so far, and whomever it is is exceptionally skilled and possesses a weapon of, I can only assume, magical power. We need to go deal with this person. And you're sure it's just one? You've listed off several different modes of death. Oh, no. The murders in Old Kentarga are not remotely connected to the other murders. Ah, I see. The method of execution, the weapon, the body placement, all of those are different, as well as just the, the victimology of all of it. One group is obviously some sort of rebellious faction attempting to usurp control in the city. The other is using the chaos as an opportunity to commit garden variety executions. What is the victimology? Of the former or latter? Latter. If this is a rebellious activity, I doubt they would go around attacking citizens, I would hope. Whereas a serial killer is a bit more of a concern. Mostly working class individuals. Mostly. The first was aberrant. A black market weapon dealer. That one seems to have been a crime of opportunity. They needed a weapon. However, the weapon that was used in said murder matches the following five. Hmm. Please, and I mean this with all sincerity, do not try to investigate this yourself. I'm not sure when I would find the time. Good. In the back of her head going, I'm totally investigating But my this. friends have time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Stay the case. Stay busy here. Learn as much as you can. I look forward to hearing about your future exploits. As if I ever gain notoriety the way you have. I see a lot of potential. She gives I, you a smile. You have so much notoriety. <laughs> Victoria. Victoria gives her a nod and then goes the opposite direction. <laughs> she turns. You can hear her down the hallway. Softly whistling to herself as she makes her way out. Are you going to mechanically be on the case now? <laughs> I've taken I'm, the case. I, 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 honestly, I'm thinking about it, yeah. Well, I mean, unless you're still pursuing leads on Knox, because technically she's still alive out there somewhere. Uh, I guess so, I guess so. Well, you haven't seen or heard hide nor hair of Knox since, uh, since that all went down. Yeah, and she didn't mention anything about her, that death, so I'm sure it's not a thing. Okay, so... Turns out someone else also was exsanguinated, like bled out everywhere, <laughs> running down the street. But uh, I'm going to look more into that because, uh, yeah, she said, don't investigate it. I'm totally going to investigate yeah, it. Yeah, you never say don't. But I suppose you make your way out. Head back uh, across the uh, the city, make your way back over to Pietros. By across the city, I mean, it's actually only like four blocks away. Yeah. Mewling in your uh, the back of your mind the the statement, the conversation that you just had. Uh-huh. You make your way in. Elena gives you a nod and smile. 
as you begin to walk past, I imagine heading for the uh, the back, heading for the stairs that lead up to you, you know, your small room, so that you can change in for the uh, for your shift now at the coffee house. Trying to figure yep. out, okay, how am I going to balance this plus rebellion plus murder investigation? Oh God, I've got a paper. As you start to make <laughs> your way back towards the back, there is a soft cough from one of the tables towards the back. A woman stands to her feet. A woman of which you instantly recognize. Tall, almost six feet. Oh, no. Dark skin, black hair. Oh. Bright yellow eyes. Arlethi gives you a nod as she stands to her feet. Victoria. What are you doing here? I was just leaving, but I'm glad to see you. A hug from an old school friend. Most certainly, but you could stay a bit longer? I can't. I've got work to do. But I wanted to catch up at some point, and I'd heard you're working here. She smiles, steps in, gives you a hug. Press her cheek up against yours. She knows what you're doing. She'll be in contact soon. She doesn't need to. But she will. Mm. The woman smiles. It's been too long. We should catch up soon. As she steps back to arm's length. It was good to see you. Hopefully longer next time. Much. I think we have a lot to catch up on. Yes, we do. Until then. Victoria probably watches her go and just sighs. And we'll pick it up here next time. Mm. She knows. Secrets. The proverbial pronoun game. (laughs) The pronoun game begins. Who is she? What does she know? Is she murdering people (laughs) in old Corvosa? (laughs) Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. <laughs>